previously on Obedience Podcast. Open about this as the new hip, hipster, cool mm-hmm. thing. If somebody has a bad day one day and then the next day or they come in simple, different. simple yeah. mood swing. Yeah, yeah. they're like, oh, they're bipolar. It's like, no, no. they just they just have a mood swing. Yeah. And, uh, medication in regards to mental health, you know, I believe in, I take have taken medication. I do take medication, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know if you heard this part. He was talking about how... He was writing a letter, you know, he was just like, God, this isn't supposed to be like this. Like, it won't be like this always. Obedience, 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 obedience is a cornerstone of our faith in God. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Being obedient requires faith in God. Without faith, it is impossible to walk with God. Obedience. Obedience. Obey God. The last episode, I gave you guys a soap for Philippians 4 and 6. Mm -hmm. And so that was a great foreshadow to this episode because the second part of this episode is going to talk about getting through. And that is our base scripture for this part of the episode, Philippians 4 and 6. So what gets you guys through a tough day? Well, um, usually I am uh, what I would like to call an extroverted introvert, so I can be very on at work and when I'm traveling and when I'm having a really bad mental health day, stress is high, I just need to disconnect. So I go, you know, I like my space and go home, get comfortable, have my essential oils diffuser, Mm -hmm. just chill out um that is one of the things that I like to do to decompress and that's you know a bad day on the toughest of the toughest days is I have to along with that I have to take time and you know I have to listen to my um my gospel music I have to get in the word I have to get in my journal um, and sometimes I just have to like be on my face in my living room. Mm-hmm. So on the toughest of tough days, that's what gets me through. Um, for me, when I'm having a tough mental health day, um, something, um, I try to make a habit of doing just coping. Um, I listen to sermons like every day throughout the day, two mm-hmm. or three times a day. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose is, um, you know, like feeding, you know, your spirit, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? You know, just to help, you know, sometimes you need to hear something, you know, just to refresh your mind mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So what about you, Ashley? So for me, uh, I do like what y'all do as well. Like I just need that time alone. Like I don't need nobody to ask me questions. I don't need my phone. I don't need no social mm-hmm. media. Um, Like when I'm just having that kind of mental health day, I don't want to see nobody else. <laughs> Sorry, but I just don't. I just need that time for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I know I like I like washing my hair. Mm-hmm. Like something simple as that, just doing something for myself, and also like diving into the word. Like y'all said, like if I'm feeling like a certain type of way, like oh I'm feeling anxious, I'll use mm-hmm. that scripture. Like don't be anxious for anything. Um, I heard this saying like a, well, um. Yeah, the saying from a girl's podcast, uh, her name is Tatum Tamia. Um, She says, acknowledge how you feel, but stand on what you know. So, okay, you can be anxious about this 
situation, but stand on what you know by God's word, mm-hmm. and that's the light into our path. And mm-hmm. just kind of lean, just lean on the word and stand on that. Okay, so yeah, that's it. That's all I have. And I said also, like y'all said, like putting out music and lighting mm-hmm. candles. Um, I also like listen to songs and whatnot. But sometimes you just need that good old, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you do. Do. Oh, yes. 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 Yes run through my head and so what helps me is you know like talking to someone about it mm-hmm. um or just even if I'm around somebody and we don't talk about what I'm going through at all we just mm-hmm. talk completely opposite awesome. that helps me out too yeah. um some days I can't talk to you about you know what's in my head just talk to me mm-hmm. to just get my mind off what's in my head mm-hmm. um like you guys I listen to sermons you know uh, Pastor Mike Todd Transformation Church yeah. uh, <laughs> Um, I like to go back and listen to old sermons from my church because we um, get free CDs. And so mm-hmm. I'll go back and listen to those. Um, I like to do the Bible plans on yes. the Bible app. I like to go and write soaps. Um, what's another thing? Oh, another thing I do is um, I like to just edit. So I'll get I'll get lost in editing. So I'll either edit an episode or a YouTube video um, or I'll write out an episode. Mm-hmm. Stuff to take my mind off of, you know, what's in my head and my thoughts. So, um, I think I'm an introvert too, but if I'm going through something, I need to be around people. (laughs) Some opposite of you guys. But yeah, so can you share the most difficult time you've had on your mental health journey? It's about to get hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, okay. Um, the most difficult time for me, um, came much later when both of my parents died. Now I already discussed that, but that was definitely right on the same level with the first time, um, when both of my parents died, um, I was very lost and I did not know how to navigate, like I said, navigate adulthood and, it was a very difficult grief process for me because there was, I didn't have a good relationship with either parent. Um, there's a lot of trauma. My mother was physically abusive and verbally abusive. And um, how do you reconcile that with the fact that that's your mother and you love her still? Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's gone. Mm-hmm. So it, it was. Um, extremely difficult. And then with my father, my father had undiagnosed mental illness. It was just apparent that something was wrong. Um, and I would get repeatedly throughout my adolescence, he would get upset and not talk to me for years and then just show up and like nothing happened and not talk to me. So I would get repeatedly disowned because he heard things Mm -hmm. that he swore that I was saying or that a family member was saying. And so, um, to rec- try and reconcile that with the fact that you love them and they were parents, um, 
I had an extremely difficult grief process. Mm-hmm. So um, that those two times are definitely the most difficult for me in my mental health journey. I would probably say my most difficult time um, on my mental health journey is um, I think I had, you know, had been kind of like diagnosed with like a sickness and there was things that were going on with my physical health far as, um, you know, masses um, on like all parts of my body, on my liver, you know, my colon, on my breast, and, you know, there was this thing that I was going to cancer doctors, and they were trying to figure out what was going on, you know, with these growths, and, you know, as you're going through depression, as you're a person, you know, that deal with anxiety, so now your worries and anxiety is not on a hundred, it's on a thousand, Mm -hmm. and actually coping with that, as well as on my full-time job, I am a you know, a leader, I'm a store manager, and it was very, um, a struggle because I did not know how to mask. Mm-hmm. I could not mask what I was going through, and what I was dealing with physically was affecting my mental, and it's affecting, indirectly affecting those, um, around me, and it was just, you know, a very highly stressful time, you know, I even had to follow up with the doctor, you know, to kind of to get, medication just to cope because that was something extra you know in Mm -hmm. addition to what you're dealing with you know and you're dealing with that because you got to worry about you know if somebody thinks they're faced with cancer or something like that you know that is something to worry about you Mm -hmm. know and you know working and just being at a space I guess where you can't really tell people what's going on as well so that was like very difficult very you know just you know depressed you know just kind of a hard time and I remember thinking to myself what I would rather be wrong than going mm-hmm. through this and I know you know you've mentioned some things about anxiety and I hear some people say you know don't worry about it try not to think about it I mean and if you deal with anxiety that's just like telling water not to be wet <laughs> I mean it's like I, I wish I could do that so mm-hmm. that was probably the most difficult thing I had ever been through and even when I come to find out when everything was okay this was like a almost a eight or nine month journey um you know going to the doctors and I remember actually when I went to the cancer doctor and I was released and everything was okay I was so programmed to worry about Mm -hmm. this situation Mm -hmm. I remember one day getting off of work and I was like what am I supposed to be worried about today like I what you know, and it's mm-hmm. a weird feeling when you know it's a it's a it's a lifestyle, it's something you don't want, but you're used to. And I remember like I can relax, like I'm mm-hmm. okay. So yeah, that was the most difficult wow. thing. I can really relate to that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'll step in when you know what I'm going through. It's been what about six months now, and like I still don't know. And so I felt like that mm-hmm. days too is kind of like, okay, I'm trying not to, mm-hmm. but I still have this lingering thought mm-hmm. in the back of my mind because I still don't know what's going on. And, you know, this one doctor would be like, okay, well, this is fine. And I'll yes. leave them and be like, what if he missed this? Yes. And then I'm worried about that, you know? So um, I'm trying to think of just one time. 
Um, probably, um, I know I talked about it on the vision episode, probably when, you know, I was in Birmingham and I was starting to have symptoms again and I just felt like, okay, all of this is about to start back over. And this is what last week, um, all of this is starting back over and this is six months later and I still don't know what's causing this to happen. And then I was thinking, you know, I start getting people saying, do you think it's just in your head? And you know, you, you, it's like, okay, nobody understands what I'm going through. No matter like who I'm talking to, no one individual can truly understand, you know, what's going on in my head and with my body. And so I felt like, okay, I don't have anybody to talk to. All of this is starting back up. I can't tell this person, Hey, I feel sick because you know, they're thinking that it's just in my head and like, I'm overthinking something. Um, but one thing that has helped me out, um, I found this in a Bible plan, um, and it's in a book, Unsinkable Faith, by Tracy Miles. She gave um, three things to help me with my thoughts. So um, the scripture comes from 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, and I'm reading from the King James Version, but it says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so her three things on how to control your thoughts was one, notice the negative thoughts. So the first part of that scripture where it says casting down, that's you noticing the negative thoughts that you're having. Second is reject your negative thoughts. Um, and that came with, um, well, actually casting down imaginations is another way to reject your negative thoughts. And the third is replace negative thoughts. And from the scripture, the replace is bringing into, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So just trying to remember God's promises to us and taking away the thoughts that are in my head and casting them away and bringing it back to what's real, you know, mm -hmm what God actually said, not what my mind is telling me, mm -hmm. what's going on. And so that's how I have been able to get through like tough times with my mental health. If I'm having days like that. Um, <clears throat> so I wrote, grab every negative thought slash imagination that comes to your mind and capture it and replace that thought. So what I did that day that I studied this um, scripture is I got in my journal and I wrote down every negative thought that I ever had about my sickness, even um, stuff that I would think and just push down. I let all of it come out. I wrote it down and then I would verbally say, you know, I give this worry to you. And, you know, if what I say, I give this worry to you and um, I cast away this thought and I cast away this from actually happening to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did that and I can say that that brought a lot of peace over me. Um, and I can say as after I did that, if I would think a negative thought, God would always bring a thought to me to where that thought didn't make sense, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, you guys should try that if you're going through something like that. And that's second Corinthians 10, five. And that book is unsinkable faith by Tracy. Is it Mills? Tracy Miles, yes, and it's on Amazon and on Kindle and all those places. Um, that that is that is so good. 
like just to you speaking on those things I wouldn't say like a specific moment but I do think that we all do have these moments of being um I don't know if it's like a woman thing or whatnot of trying to be perfect and that was one of the things that like I put on so much pressure on myself of being perfect this mm-hmm. thing of perfection mm-hmm. um and that was like I know it sounds like so simple and we hear it all the time. Like you're not perfect. No one's perfect. We hear that all the time, you know, mm-hmm. but that was one of the most things that I, I took from my therapy sessions. Like she just said, look, Ashley, we're not perfect. And I just started crying. I was just like, Oh my gosh, I have a revelation, but we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we're going to mess up. Um, but I would have like different moments of just, just breakdowns of like, Oh, this is supposed to be this. And I put so much pressure on myself of being something mm-hmm. that society has said that we should be by the age of 25 mm-hmm. or 30 or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I don't have a specific moment, but moments that led up to that moment of that revelation that I did have in therapy. All right. That was all the questions about getting through. Um, thank you guys for being open about that. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to um, give our viewers give our viewers a chance to get to know you guys. So we're going to have moments with Shaniko and then a moment with Irene. So Shaniko, we'll let you go first. Um, so can you tell us more about your mentoring program? Sure. Um, it's called New Minds Mentorship Program. And before I tell you about the program, since we have been talking about mental health, um, the name New Minds, it actually has a dual meaning. And many people don't know that is actually a personal affirmation to myself. Mm-hmm. And the reason I named it New Minds, it was really just something I say to myself. It's like mm-hmm. some, something I constantly, you know, tell myself daily. Mm-hmm. So that's where the name comes from. But basically New Minds is a, a youth mentoring and business empowerment organization. Um, we assist youth, um, boys and girls, ages 9 to 18, um, we have various seminars and, you know, just workshops, um, basically just to help the youth. You know, okay. I have a heart for the community. Um, you know, I care about the well-being of, you know, our kids, mm-hmm. our community, you know, personal and social development. So um, that's kind of what we are, you know, mm-hmm. in And um, Yeah. What made you start that mentorship program? I started New Minds because um, just as a young girl, my sister and myself, you know, we were members of the Kiwanis Boys and Girls Club Mm -hmm. here in Mobile um, in Crying. And um, I wanted something, I want to have that type of influence on youth as those people had on me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to create something, you know, to make a mark, you know, a purpose. I just wanted to have something, um, for the kids, once again, just, you know, in the community, I was thinking, you know, how cool, you know, if I create something that can help kids, you know, and it was kind of me and my sister, we talked, used to talk about this all the time, like, mm-hmm. what if we can have like that, like, we can't do that, we ain't no Boys and Girls Club, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to see it's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's your purpose? I truly do think it is my purpose. Mm-hmm. It is uh, my happy place. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, it's all about, you know, I get joy when 
Um, I interact with kids, youth, or their parents when I get emails, inboxes, text messages saying that my daughter loved that or she loves you or she loved what you stand for mm -hmm. and what you doing. And I'm thinking like, I don't do it for the praise, but mm -hmm. it's reassuring that, you know, what I'm doing is not in vain. And mm -hmm. this is exactly what God wants me to do and mm -hmm. how he wants to use me. So, mm -hmm. yes, I do think it's my purpose. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> so what keeps you pushing with the program? I would imagine it's because it is your purpose and it's, it, it comes so easily to you. Yes, um, just pushing with it, just knowing, you know, I've had times, you know, it's not easy, and I've had times where I'm like, I don't know about this, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and I think about finances, and I think about this, and I remember when God planted the seed of the dream in me, mm -hmm. um, it was never about money, it mm -hmm. was never about the income, it was about the outcome, it was about making a difference, mm -hmm. you know, so that what keeps me pushing, because... It's making a difference. And long as I know that I have made a difference, mm -hmm. I feel like I have did great or as the old people say, it is well mm -hmm. with my soul. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, that keeps me pushing. It is well. So, I'm a first alto. Oh, come on. <laughs> 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 I don't think I'm on my soprano today. My voice is a little deep today. <laughs> so, um, what's um a scripture that you want to leave us with? A scripture I want to leave you all with is my favorite favorite scripture. It's my life scripture. Okay, and it's probably one y'all know. Um, it's Galatians six and nine. Okay, and um. Is be not weary and well-doing, for in due season mm -hmm. we shall reap if we faint not. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think the key to that scripture is in due season, which mm -hmm. no matter what circumstances you are in, because we're talking about, you know, mental health is my due season mm -hmm. is coming. Mm -hmm. it, it is coming. So, yes, that is the scripture. Um, You know, I stand on no matter what anything looks like mm -hmm. you know that I will be rewarded you know for what it is that I'm going through mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's good so don't faint don't faint <laughs> anything else that you want to leave us with for your moment of the show my moment? yeah um, <laughs> I just want to let the viewers know um it's okay, you know, um, you know, mental health is real, you know, it's okay to be transparent, it's okay to share your story, because through your transparency, you know, you can help someone else, even if it's just one person, it's okay mm -hmm. to be transparent, also to let you know that mental health doesn't have a face, I mean, I think all of us look good up here, and you know, <laughs> but all of us have had different experiences so um yeah yeah so keep that in mind all right Avena, you ready yes i'm ready <laughs> <laughs> all right so i know when i first asked you to be on the episode um you agreed instantly 
Um, but I think like the next day you text me and you were talking about how your mentor mm -hmm. had told you a while back to write your test, well, share your testimony. Um, and we hadn't done it yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here I was asking you to come on the show and share it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, I didn't know that at the time, but you, you know, how God works. Um, so... Can you be honest, open, transparent, hot, <laughs> um, and share with us your testimony? And before you do that, um, share with us, you know, what kept you from sharing it? Um, I think what kept me from sharing it was um, fear mm -hmm. of how I would be looked at. I think instead of, I had a drive in me to want to help others, women especially, um, but at the same time, I was so fearful of how it would be taken. Um, and um, it was, and I'm also shy, so it's just like I, mm -hmm. I would, like, you know, I just... I'm just going to be timid in my little box. Let <laughs> me just be in my little box, okay? Um, you know, let's, let's not do this. And so my mentor, who's actually my first lady, Galila Conway, um, Restoration Place Church in Daphne. Um, shameless plug. Yes, yeah, shameless plug. <laughs> because I talked about them the last episode and did not plug them. So let me just go ahead and plug them. Um, but um, it was something that she's been pushing me to share because... I actually sought her out and I was like, I would like a mentorship and my pastor was like, okay, well, Lady D and Lady D's like, okay, yes. So, <laughs> right. Didn't think he was going to say my name, but all right, yes, we can do that. You know? <laughs> You're right. She was like, oh, okay, yes. Let's schedule our first phone call. Um, what now? You know, um, but I sought that out because I was like, I know that it's just been a tug, you know, that for my purpose. Um, and I just find it really interesting that I want to build a mentorship for young women. And the other guest who I did not know who was going to be on the show at all <laughs> <laughs> has a mentorship program. But again, it's interesting how God works. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. um, that that's really what it was, just shyness and fear. Mm -hmm. Like I just didn't want to get out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. um, and share. So um, it may be a little long. <laughs> we have but... <laughs> But um, I pray that it helps someone. Mm -hmm. um, I was not raised um, Christian. My mother, um, she's a single mother, um, started out up until the age of seven, little in Black Baptist Church. And all of a sudden, we stopped going to church. And I'm seven, and I don't know any better. <laughs> But I realized slowly but surely holidays started going away. Mm -hmm. And my mom got baptized and became a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. So the majority of my life was around that. And um, not only that, my mom had her own 
struggles from her childhood that she translated into how she raised me. Um, so it became a generational thing with abuse, things that were physical, um, things emotional and verbal. She's highly manipulative. Um, she, you know, would like to, you know, try mess with me to try and get me to do things. Um, and the physical abuse was difficult to speak about because, you know, I'm, I'm black, I'm African American, you know, we get whoopings. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's normal, but it's not normal when you take a, a wooden strip, extra strip piece of border and beat your child with it until mm -hmm. it breaks. Okay. It's not, you know, a regular whooping when you take, uh, you know, a steel broom handle mm -hmm. to your child until it bends. It's mm -hmm. not, that's not normal. Mm -hmm. And so having, dealing with that and watching my sister deal with that, my sister left home at 16 and I was the golden child because my mom was told that she couldn't have children. My sister was adopted from another family member. She was blood, but not my mom's. Mm -hmm. I was a surprise. And so I didn't deal with it until my sister left home. And then my mom did have the child for the outlet. Mm -hmm. So literally the day that my sister left home, I learned my first chore. And I became the housekeeper. I became the babysitter. I became the caretaker of the home and her anger outlet. Um, and I dealt with that um, from the age of like eight or nine into um, adolescence and I became very depressed and I didn't realize what it was um, until um, I had a day where I was sitting in my room and I was, I sat on the edge of my bed, like in a f mental fog of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what was happening or why I was like that. But my mom had been talking to me going up and down the hall and I not registering anything that she's saying. And she had asked me to clean my room, apparently. And I had no, cause I'm just in this depressive state. And that was when the steel broom handle came into play is because I was sitting there and I was sitting in the same spot and I hadn't obeyed her. She beat me with that broom handle. And um, I told a friend um, who told their mom, they happen to be Caucasian. That's important. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is because that's that's how it got out. It wasn't just like it because the stigma is so in our community. Mm -hmm. You know, if it had been another black parents, like that's not our business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She should have obeyed her mom. Mm -hmm. This white parent called a teacher, mm -hmm. who called the principal, who called the police. Mm -hmm. The police showed up that same day. My mom looks at me. And I'm terrified because I'm like, I'm going to get beat all over again. I didn't do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't do this. And so they come and they interview her. And my mom had a way of speaking that it was, oh, I understand how kids can be, you know, oh, I understand. We get it. No big deal. Um, she's fine. You know, um, and they left. 
nothing really came of that police report. Um, what pushed it was I ended up going to school Monday and getting called immediately into the office by the principal. And that's how I found out the principal was behind it. And I'm getting checked for bruises, and I have them. And I was immediately placed into foster care. Um, that was my first experience with therapy. I didn't really understand what it was, but on TV, people went to therapy and they got better. Mm-hmm. So they asked me, you know, the when you're in the system, the goal is to always to place the child back with their family. Mm-hmm. How do we fix you guys, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm a child, but they're like, what do you want your mom to do to, you know, for y'all to be a family? Mm-hmm. And I said, she has to go to therapy. We have to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Not really understanding what it was, but hoping it would fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did. And I ended up having a very negative experience because they found therapists for us that were also black. So this is not to I'll say black therapists are bad, but at the time, because they shared that same experience, mm-hmm. there was a, oh, she's this disobedient child. Mm-hmm. And so these therapists would, my mom was very good at manipulation. Mm-hmm. So it became this, woe is me, I have this difficult child mm-hmm. that doesn't do anything that I say. And there's nothing really wrong with her. Mm-hmm. She's just this hard-headed, disobedient child. And they would even bring in this lady from Strickland to threaten me with the state of Alabama law, which is that children can be arrested Mm -hmm. for disobeying their parents. And they would bring her in, and she would threaten me to, like, I'll put you in Strickland. (laughs) And that was what happened. And then my actual psychiatrist that I had where I thought that I felt suicidal was like, you want attention. Um, Like handed me her letter opener off her desk and said, slit your wrist if you want to kill yourself. Slit your wrist right in front of me. Slit your wrist. No, you want attention. And then she stopped seeing me as a patient after that. Um, That all was the the beginning of my mental health journey and I went through that um, back and forth I had to go to therapy I had to continue therapy I had to be put on medication and I would feel better and I get off because it was still being said in the household from family members that you really don't need it like there's not really like you're not crazy like you know um there's nothing really wrong and so just go back and forth where I would have sessions sections of my life where I felt fine because I was on medication and going to therapy and then I stopped and then I'd be okay for a little while and then something negative would happen which is what I'm saying I don't have that whatever chemical (laughs) that kicks in um, I don't have that. So whatever negative would happen, it was always like a roller coaster. Like it just, I'm, I'm down here mm-hmm. and then we'd have to start it all over again. I'd be fine. I'd get off medication 
and then, <laughs> you know, and it was a cycle um, for many years. And um, it was really difficult being in that. Um, and I got kind of okay until, and this was eighth grade. So then we get to senior year high school and I get depressed again because I'm doing this up and down. Mm-hmm. And um, I get a scholarship. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, and I was deliberately applying everywhere that was not mobile because I was trying to get away. Mm-hmm. I need to get away. Um, and I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to North Carolina Central and with a stipend and a laptop and my, this, my mother hid it from me. Wow. So as I had all these applications that I was putting in mm-hmm. and it, lo- it slipped my mind because she hid it. And then when I finally thought about it, I was like, did I ever send that in? And I was like, Mom, where have you seen the my form that I had to send in for North Carolina Central? And she went right to the top of the refrigerator, like didn't even look for it, moved some stuff, pulled it down. Here you go. <laughs> Why was that? Why was that there? <laughs> Why was? And by the time that I mailed it in, it was too late. And they had exhausted their scholarship fund. Mm-hmm. And I did not receive that. And it was all a manipulation because she did not want me out from under her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up going to Beloved Christian University, the local one of them, University of Mobile, because she forced me to apply there and to South. Because you're going to be in Mobile mm-hmm. because you have to be under me. Mm-hmm. Um and it was that kind of thing. Like once I got on campus, she would pop up. Um, she took care of her sister, who was um, who is developmentally disabled. She was the guardian of her, which I took care of her. I knew her medication schedule. I was that's why I'm saying I was the babysitter. I took care of her. So my mom would pop up because she knew I wouldn't answer the phone. So she'd just show up mm-hmm. and tell me to pack a bag. You're coming home this weekend because you're watching your aunt. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. You know, and if I, you know, bugged or wanted to say no, it was, uh, you know, that, you know, every black mom with that straight face, that talking through your teeth, you want me to act a fool in front of these white folks? Pack the bag. <laughs> you know, um, so it, it was that that was continued. Um, and I finally... Um, my sophomore year, I gave my life to Christ mm-hmm. and it shocked my mother for some mm-hmm. reason. And I was like, you forced me to go to a Southern Baptist university, which Bible studies in every dorm. <laughs> <laughs> Chapel is mandatory. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Did you not think that I was going to get exposed to Jesus? I don't, I'm so confused with your logic. I don't get it. And she was so upset. Like she found the Bible that someone had given me and she was so angry that I had a Bible, you know, and she finally let it go and was like, well, you know, it has to be your decision of whether or not you're going to be a Jehovah's witness. And I was like, that is true. (laughs) And she, you know, finally let that part go. And I started going to church 
um, and and that started my journey as a Christian um, in that um, kind of fast forwarding um, I ended up finding out that I had anxiety during college and um, I started having massive panic attacks um, hyperventilating to the point of almost passing out or to passing out um, chills shaking like these really you know, bad panic attacks. And um, I started hyperventilating one day, ended up having to go to the hospital, and they're like, it's an anxiety attack, you're fine. I'm like, no. <laughs> Something else, that's not what that was. And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up having to take extended breaks, so I would literally have to go home and get my life together for like a whole semester, a whole year, and then come back. And then... I would have panic attacks and I'd have to go home and then I'd have to come back. And it got to a point that I finally got okay. I was finally with the therapy and um, medication after a suicide attempt on campus. And um, me and my mom had fallen out and um, I had moved somewhere else and she gets sick and they think it's pneumonia. Oh, you may need a hip replacement and, you know, these physical symptoms that seemed completely unrelated. And she ended up having an autoimmune disease and bone marrow cancer at the same time. And it was over a year. And that's about how how long. And she went to in-home hospice. And I left, you know, I tried to stay in school. And my family, I'm still dealing with family members resenting me because I tried to stay in school. And I was like, she was the one that wanted me to go to school. So I thought she would want me to finish was my logic. I'm sorry. I finally got, came out of school when they said she took a turn for the worse. And that was my senior year finals week of first semester. And she passed at home. Mm 